So it looks like Christmas, it sounds like Christmas, but we're continuing in a Thanksgiving vein today. So could we just really quickly thank Hisa, can we thank all the worship team members? I'm just really thankful for this team. Those who've been serving week in and week out, some for decades, uh, it's just been great for me to come to this team. I'm just very thankful uh, for them all. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, perhaps you're visiting or haven't been in town, uh, my name's Brian. Uh, my wife Ashley and I, uh, we've been in Lubbock here now for about seven weeks, and um, we're, we're getting to know Melanie Park, and we're just so thankful that the Lord's brought us to Melanie Park. Uh, I have the joy here of serving as worship pastor, or singing shepherd, as Todd likes to call it. Um, but today I have the privilege and honor to not sing God's word to you, but to speak God's word to you. Uh, but before we jump in, I, I want to say thank you as well to, to all of you. Um, again, Ashley and I, we've been here for seven weeks, and we have just been blown away by your generosity uh, to us. Uh, we showed up into our rental house, and there were groceries stocked. There were gifts for our girls. Many of you contributed to that. Um, our second week being here, I think, there was a, a Christmas uh, tree here that had gift cards, just exceeding amounts of generosity to us. Uh, the McAlpines for letting us stay in your house for a week, thankful for you. Uh, the group of guys who helped us unload and assemble furniture. Uh, and then the dozens of people who brought us meals and took us out for meals. Just countless acts of generosity that you all have extended to us, and we're thankful for you. Um, you know, the Bible teaches that our God is a generous, over-the-top giver, and we've experienced some of that character of God through you. So thank you. Please continue to live generously towards others. It's been amazing to experience firsthand the generosity of God's people. So as we continue in the Thanksgiving vein, just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time there today. And if you've seen the bulletin, you could tell by the somewhat cheesy sermon title that we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving and singing and how the two in the Christian life and Christian community, how those two things intersect. Now, I know when it comes to a sermon on singing, uh, some of you are about to check out. Singing is not a topic or an act that is of any interest to you. You want to come on Sunday morning, hear the word, but you have no desire or interest to lift your voice in song. Um, when it comes to singing, there's a spectrum, right? There's some people who are good at singing and enjoy singing. There's some people who enjoy singing but aren't very good at it, right? That's the joyful noise bunch. Then there are people who don't like singing but actually have a pretty good voice. And then there's those who don't like singing and are actually pretty bad at it, right? I don't know where you fall on that spectrum today, but I know in here today that there are people who don't like to sing. And maybe you've been told in your elementary formative years that, that you don't have a good voice and shouldn't sing. And a lot of people who that's happened to, they don't sing and they won't sing. So this morning, I just want to be clear from the outset. I'm not trying to coerce you to sing, right? I don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. I'm not going to try to guilt you into singing here on Sunday morning. You know, as Christians, we're all about God's grace, right? So there's room for us wherever we're at in terms of this issue. But I do hope that under the blanket of God's grace, that the Lord might start to encourage you today, perhaps challenge you, maybe even begin to press you a little bit 
in this area of singing. Uh, Maybe even if you still don't like to sing or don't want to sing, my hope is by the end that you'll start to see how, for the Christian, singing is very important to our walk with Christ. And how, as Christian community, God has given us the gift of singing to lift up and build up one another. Because here's the reality, right? Just as God commands us to be thankful, I got some verses here, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Give thanks in all circumstances, right? God commands us to be thankful. Just as God commands us to be thankful, he also commands us to sing. In the Psalms alone, there are about 30 commands for us to sing. Then another 30 or so passages talk about how God's people sing in response to God's work. Let me just give you a few examples. Psalm 96 is one such passage. Verse 1 and 2 command us, listen to this, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. In that one verse alone, three commands to sing. And then there's Psalm 47, verse 6 and 7. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our kings, sing praises. For God is king of all the earth, sing praises with a skillful psalm. Five commands in those verses alone. And as we talk about this topic of thanks singing, God put it together explicitly for us in Psalm 147. Verse 7 commands us plainly to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. And there's many more passages in Scripture. We, we can't get past this reality that God commands Christians to sing. But in addition, because of God's work for us in the gospel, Christians are not just commanded to sing, but we're compelled to sing. You know, as Christians, even if God hasn't given you a voice, he's given you a song. Let me say that again. Even if God hasn't given you a voice, he's given you a song. A song of salvation, a song of redemption. Uh, If you've been in Christian circles for a while, about a decade ago, there was a song written by Chris Tomlin that says, how can I keep from singing your praise? In light of all you've done for me, how can I keep from singing your praise? Those of us who are in Christ just can't help it. When the realities of the gospel illuminate our minds, drop into our hearts, they boil up and we just have to get them out. In a primary way that we get out our thankfulness and praise is through song. And we see this in scripture, that that Christians are compelled to sing. Let me give you a few verses here. So Psalm 21, verse 13, David encounters the power and strength of God, and he can't help but burst into song. Psalm 21, 13 says, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And then Psalm 92, verse 4, says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. So the psalmist responds, I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. And then Psalm 13, verse 6, David again, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. When David realized the generosity and grace of God towards him, He couldn't help but singing God's praise. So there's no way around it biblically. Christians are both commanded to sing and Christians are compelled to sing. 
So with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll get into our primary text for this morning. So Lord, would you give us grace today to hear your truth clearly? Would you give me the ability to articulate your word and your hope for us accurately and articulately? Lord, would you open up our hearts to receive what you have for us, motivate our wills to respond to you? In light of all that you've done, Lord, give us grace today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 3, you may know this text well. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And basically the book, he's describing what it looks like to live as Christians in community in the midst of a pagan society. There, there were people in the church who were developing a deficient view of Christ in his work and were spreading false teaching throughout the community. So to counter the destructive teaching, Paul writes a letter to these believers that is just packed full of truth about Christ, right? If you've read Colossians, it is the Christological letter if there ever was one. If you want to increase your view of Christ and have the affection in your heart stirred up for Christ, I'd encourage you this week to read Colossians. So just a quick breeze through the book. After spending the first two chapters highlighting the significance of Christ and his work, uh, Paul pivots in chapter 3 to begin, to begin discussing uh, what it looks like practically to walk with Jesus. So essentially he's saying, in light of all this Christo uh, Christology, chapters 1 and 2, here's how you start to live these things out together practically. So Paul begins chapter 3, you may know, you may know verses 1 and 2, exhorting believers to set your minds on things above and, and to keep seeking the things that are above, namely Christ. And this is the key to sanctification in our Christian lives, right? It's the necessary ingredient for growing progressively in Christ. Christians, set your minds on things above. Seek Christ and keep on seeking Christ. And then Paul continues in a handful of verses, chapter 3, verse 5 through 11, talking about how we, with our view now set on Christ, how we're to put off sinful attitudes and actions while we put on new ones. Now that we're in Christ, Paul pleads, we're to think like Christ, we're to live like Christ. We put off the old self as we learn to progressively, gradually put on the new self. And then starting in verse 12, where we'll zero in today, Paul talks in greater detail about some of the things we're to put on as God's people. So let's pick it up together in verse 12 of Colossians 3, and we'll walk through this together phrase by phrase, if that's okay with you. All right. Verse 12. So, Paul writes, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved. So Paul starts this section off by reminding us of our identity, right? Who are we in Christ? As a son or daughter of God, who are you? Well, he says three things. He says, you've been chosen by God. You're holy. That is, you've been set apart by God for God. And in Christ, you're beloved. You're beloved. In Christ, you and I are more deeply loved by the Father than we could ever imagine, desire, or dream. So this is our identity in Christ. So as people with that identity... Here's how we live out and, and interact with one another. Paul continues. Put on a heart of compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And these are all Christ-like virtues, right? He says in, in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So personally, I, I just love this verse, this section, because in and of myself, and my wife can attest to this, I'm not a very compassionate person, uh, nor am I kind. No one has ever described me in my human nature, apart from Christ, as humble. Tim and I were just talking about it this morning. We're, some people are just prone to arrogance and pride, right? I'm not a naturally gentle person, nor a patient person. If it weren't for my regeneration and progressive sanctification, I would not be a very forbearing or forgiving person. Aren't you glad you hired me to be your pastor? <laughs> but here's where the good news of the gospel changes everything. Now that I'm in Christ, now that he's chosen me, he's set me apart as holy, and has poured out his love and affection upon me, now that I'm in him, he's making me more like him. He's helping me grow in all these virtues as I learn to put them on and put off the opposite ones. And he's doing the same for you. But here's where I, why I love this verse as well. Look at the second half of verse 13. Paul says, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. And then he says these two words, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should forgive one another. I, I just love this verse, these two little words. How do I learn to forbear with you and forgive you if you sin against me? Well, as someone in Christ, I just don't work harder and try better, right? For believers, it's not about trying harder and doing better, white-knuckling to get it right. Here's how it works. Just as he forgives me, so too now I forgive you. It's only as I experience more and more of Christ's forgiveness overflowing into me that I'm then able to extend that to others. Christians live like Christ as we more and more over time experience the transformative power of Christ. As God's forgiveness floods into me, it changes me to become more forgiving like him. Just as the Lord forgave you, we now forgive one another. Paul then puts a cap on this idea of verse 14. He says, beyond all these things, so if there was one thing to encapsulate everything I've been saying so far, here it is. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So love d defines what it is to be Christian community, right? Love is the underlying factor of how we interact with one another. Uh, and Ashley and I have experienced this firsthand through you. Moving here, we have felt the love of the Father flowing through you to us. We have been overwhelmed at times by the way that you have loved us well. But it's as the love of Christ is experienced that it can then be expressed. So the more, same principle, the more of Christ's love I experience in my heart, it changes me over time to be able to love you better. And then verse 15. Here's where I'd really like to focus our attention this morning. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And, here it is, be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let's break this down. Here's how I see this little passage. Paul gives a command in verse 15. Christians, be thankful. And then in verse 17, there's an assumption that Christians give thanks in everything they do. And sandwiched between the command of 15 and the assumption in 17 is a fantastic little verse about Christians singing. How as Christians do we sing and how as a Christian community do we sing together? So let's look closely. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So the word of Christ, this is foundational to what it is to be Christian community, right? We are a a word richly dwelling people. It's absolutely essential to our life together, and it's absolutely essential, essential, sorry, I can't speak this morning, to the way that we sing uh, to one another and with one another. As Melanie Park Church, we let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. We're all about the book. We're a people of the word. And this is one of the things that, again, that drew Ashley and I to this body. You all love the word and are hungry for more of the word. Look at the way he kind of breaks it down, though. He, He talks about letting the word of Christ dwell. So to dwell implies both a depth and a longevity, right? If you were to dwell on a thought, which maybe some of you are now, instead of listening to me, you're dwelling on some other thought, which is fine. There's grace, right? So if you dwell on a thought, you're thinking about it for a while, it's dropping deeper into the way that you're thinking, and you're forgetting about other things. When we dwell on a thought, it consumes our minds and flushes out other thoughts, and the more and more and more we think about it, the deeper down it goes. That's to dwell on a thought. And then another example, some of you have been living in your home for a decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, your home has become a dwelling place for you, right? Over time, there's a depth to your connection with your home. There's lots of memories, lots of stories, lots of laughs, lots of tears. Due to the time that you've dwelt where you live, the connection has become deeper and deeper and deeper. Likewise, for Christians, as we dwell in and on God's word, over time, the truth just begins to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into us. The truth of God's word begins to live in us as we live in it. So Paul chooses the word to dwell here to describe how Christians are to engage with God's word. So we dwell in it. We spend time in it. We let it sink deep. And ultimately, the word begins to dwell in us. But he also adds the word richly. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. So, so not only is the dwelling deep, but, but there's a richness to it. There's a fullness and a flavorness, flavorfulness to it. So if you think about it in terms of food, which is always a great way to think about things, the food of God's word is rich in flavor. So it's, it's fine cuisine. Every bite can be savored and truly enjoyed. But it's also rich in supply. Rich in flavor and rich in supply. It's inexhaustible, abundant. God's word, the food, the feast of God's word will never run out. 
So God's word is both rich in quality and quantity. As we dwell in it, as we dig through it, as we feast upon it, we find that there's always more to satisfy our souls, right? Those of us in here who have been walking with Christ for decades, you've experienced this. No matter how much you think you know about God's word, there is always more for you to discover, always more for you to enjoy. The feast is never ending. And as we eat, as we feast more and more on God's word, we find his word dwelling richly in us. It just tastes better over time. And there's always more. The supply never runs out. And then the last thing here, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. That you there is plural, right? Paul's not speaking to individual Christians at this point, though there is some application for individuals in this. He's addressing the body, a local church. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within y'all, right? Did I get that right? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. He's talking to us as a body. Paul here sees a community that is savoring every bite, enjoying the never-ending supply, a community that is just saturated in God's word. It permeates everything. And my hope for Melanie Park is that this would continue to describe us as a community, a people that feast on God's word so that we may become a group of people in whom the word of Christ richly dwells more and more. Because when that's the case, Paul points out two very significant things that happen. So if you're reading the NASB, which is what I'm preaching out of today, for me it's a little convoluted the way that the wording's laid out. So I'm going to switch over real quick to the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is another good word-for-word translation. Because in the ESV it shows clearly two things that result from a word-centered, richly dwelling community. And here are the two things. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Number one, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. And then number two, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So when the word of Christ richly dwells in a community, two things happen. First, Christians teach and admonish one another with the wisdom of God's word. Whether it's from the pulpit here on Sunday morning or in your living room, across the table or over the phone throughout the week, God's word for us as Christians provides both the framework for our teaching and admonishment, it teaches us how to go about it, and it also gives us the content of our teaching and admonishment. So the framework and the content, from the pulpit to your living room, God's word is central and essential to the way that we teach and admonish one another. Because, I'm sure you know this, it's not the pastor's role to teach and admonish everyone, right? As individual Christians, it's our role and responsibility to be teaching and admonishing one another. Todd, week in and week out, just kind of models how you go about that from the pulpit. But it's our responsibility, every believer in Christ, to teach and admonish one another. So whether you throughout the week are instructing a new believer, warning a stagnant believer, counseling a hurting believer, or correcting a wayward believer, whatever the case may be, God's word is where we find the wisdom needed to love and care for one another. But Paul continues, when the word of Christ richly dwells in us, another thing happens. We don't just teach and admonish one another with the word, but Christians sing. 
And according to Paul, we sing a variety of songs, right? He says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there's been much, in my opinion, unnecessary debate over what Paul exactly means here. Uh, I'm not going to spend time sharing what I think, but actually I will share what I think. I think he's talking about the psalms of Scripture, so singing the actual words of Scripture, then also writing new songs, whether they're more hymn-like in nature, systematic in theology, or whether they're more free-flowing and uh, of the Spirit. Whatever he means, however, I think the point is that Christians are free to sing a variety of songs. Any song that is richly influenced by God's Word is a legitimate song for Christians to sing. So here at Melanie Park, as your, as your worship pastor, uh, you have my commitment to singing a variety of songs here in our corporate gatherings. So we'll sing historic hymns, we'll sing new songs that are being written by Christians across the globe at large, and over time we'll begin to sing songs that are written in-house, by us, for us. We'll sing a variety of songs here. And you also have my commitment that our songs are not just going to be saturated with Scripture, but they're going to be theologically sound, musically excellent, and conducive to congregational singing. So you have my commitment here, and you have my invitation. If there's ever a song that we sing that seems to be maybe a little out of line with Scripture, give me a call, catch me after church, let's talk about it and flesh it out together. Because we want the Word of Christ to dwell richly in us, and a, a way that we do that is by the songs that we sing. Paul's point here, however, is not necessarily what types of songs we're free to sing, but he emphasizes two things, how Christians sing and to whom Christians sing. So back to verse 16, the second half, Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, that's the how, to God, there's to whom. So let's first look at the how. How do Christians sing? Well, according to Paul, we sing with thankfulness in our hearts, thankfulness in our hearts. So singing is far more than an intellectual activity, right? Though the intellect is part of it, our song should help us think more clearly about God. But singing goes beyond the intellect into areas of the heart and will. So singing is a heart-engaging activity. Whether you're at a stadium singing a, a, a football chant, football song, or a basketball song, or whether you're at a concert, singing goes beyond the intellect into the heart. From deep down within, from the heart, which for the Christian view is the central core and motivating center of all that we do, from the heart, deep down within, Christians sing. And if you think about it, singing is a unique expression of our worship in that it simultaneously, in one moment, engages our mind, emotions, bodies, and potentially wills. Singing can help us respond to God holistically in worship. So if you remember Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says a, a great line here about how we worship. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, right? So he lists four things there. My personal conviction is that singing is one way that in one moment we can worship God in those four ways. 
So our minds process the words of the song. Our hearts engage with the emotion of the truth in the song. Our soul, which is the, the, the spiritual part of who we are, joins in and then motivates the strength or our physical part to open our mouths and let the song come out. Mind, heart, soul, strength. Singing helps us engage holistically in biblical worship. It takes us beyond the realm of the mind into something a little bit deeper, the emotion and the will. And and John Piper, um, in his book, Desiring God, summarizes this for me, so I kind of want to share it with you. He says, John Piper, music and singing are necessary to Christian faith and worship for the simple reason that the realities of God and Christ, of creation and salvation, are so great that when they are known truly and felt duly, they demand more than discussion and analysis and description. They demand poetry and music and song. Singing, Piper says, is the Christian's way of saying that God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. And talking will not suffice. There must be singing. Let me say that last part again. God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. And talking will not suffice. There must be singing. So for the Christian, as our hearts are filled with thankfulness in response to all that God has done for us in Christ, when it builds and builds and builds and builds up inside our hearts, it can't help but make its way out. In one way that our thankfulness makes its way out is through singing. Notice, too, the direction of our singing. Paul says here that it's to God, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So for the Christian, God is our primary audience, right? The primary direction of our singing is Godward. In light of all that he's done for me, how can I keep from singing to him? But though singing is primarily Godward, Ephesians 5, which is kind of like the parallel passage to Colossians 3, Ephesians 5 teaches that when Christians are filled with the Spirit, they also sing to one another as we sing to God. So even though God is our first and primary focus as we sing, we don't just sing solely to God. There's something supernatural and significant that happens when we gather as a church and sing to one another. But that's a sermon for another day. Maybe Todd will invite me back at some point to preach Ephesians 5. As we begin to close today, though, I I just want to try to summarize what we've seen so far today. You all still with me? Anybody dwelling on more thoughts? Anything good that you'd want to share? So as we begin to close, here's a summary so far. Singing, for those of us who are Christians, is a means to help us set our minds on things above. It's a means by which we can let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. And it's a way that we can express worship holistically to God. Christians, per the Bible, are not only commanded to sing, but we're compelled to sing. Even if God hasn't given you a voice, if you're in Christ, he's given you a song, a song of salvation. 
When we sing songs saturated in the word of God, we find our thoughts being filled with truth. And when these truths ignited by the spirit drop into our hearts, we begin to be moved. We're affected and we must respond. So with hearts filled with thankfulness, we sing to the Lord. So to condense it all in one sentence, if you want to take one note today, here's the note that you want to take. Thanksgiving infuses Christian singing while singing amplifies Christian thanksgiving. Let me say it again. Thanksgiving infuses Christian singing while singing amplifies Christian thanksgiving. So for Christians, thanksgiving infuses our song. It it fills it. It enhances it. Uh, Any tea drinkers in here? All right, a few. I'm more of a coffee drinker, but here's how tea works, right? You put a tea bag or tea in a cup of hot water. And over time, the water extracts the flavor. Likewise, our thanksgiving, when we drop it into our singing, it soaks into our singing and changes the fabric of our singing. Thanksgiving brings out the flavor of what we sing. It fills it. It enhances it. It enriches it. So in our everyday lives, and as we gather here on Sunday, let's let the thankfulness that's in your heart to God fill you up and overflow into your song. Thanksgiving infuses Christian singing, but also singing amplifies our thanksgiving. When we gather here on Sunday, or if you're in your car singing throughout the week, when we sing as Christians, the act of doing so can actually intensify and increase the depth of our thanksgiving that's in our hearts. Especially if the songs are rich in gospel truth, God-centered, I guarantee that when the Spirit sees that, He's going to come in and He's going to take the truth of those songs, drop them into your heart, and enhance and intensify the thankfulness that's in your heart. Each week when we gather, my hope is that by the songs that we sing, your capacity to be thankful actually expands. And then, by the way that we sing in here with thankfulness in our hearts, I pray that it would actually send us out even more thankful into our everyday lives out there. So singing amplifies Christian thanksgiving. Our thankfulness can actually increase and expand as we sing to God. So my challenge to all of us this morning is twofold. So here's the first thing. And we're going to give you some time for this momentarily. Um, let's ask the Lord to increase the thankfulness in your hearts to him. Right? If it's true that uh, Thanksgiving infuses our singing, let's ask him to increase the thankfulness that's in our hearts. And we'll spend some time praying momentarily for that. But then secondly, when we gather here each week, I'd encourage you to come as a participant. Come ready to fully engage, not just in hearing the sermon, but in singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. My hope is that due to the the word-rich dwelling songs that we sing, that each week when we gather, each of our hearts would be uh, uh, affected and filled with more and more thankfulness to the Lord. So my hope for Melanie Park is that we'd be the most thankful people here in Lubbock because of a deep Word of Christ, rich dwelling community that we are. And in response to that, I pray that we would be an always thankful, 
ever-singing people who sing songs of thankfulness from our hearts to God, whether we're gathered in here or scattered out there. Uh, so Meredith's going to come up now and close us with a song. Uh, she's going to sing this over you. You're, you're more than welcome to sing along if you'd like, but I'd invite you in this time just to sit and hear the truth sung over you. And, and here's what I'd like you to do. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Right, right, meditate on the truth that are in, that, that's in this song. And then also use this time, maybe close your eyes if you'd like, just to ask the Lord to increase the thankfulness that's in your heart. And then thirdly, maybe use it as a benediction to send you out here with even more and more and more thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. So Meredith, Jerry, they're going to close our time. So may we leave here today as ever thankful, always singing people. Enjoy the windy Sunday.